0: The chants of, I can't breathe, are being replaced by shrieks of, defund the police in wake of the George Floyd death in Minneapolis. Is it time to scale back on the firepower. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. Floyd's death was the catalyst for anti-racism demonstrations and protests in the U.S., Canada, and across Europe. The role of police very much on their minds. For some, it's an adversarial relationship. Several U.S. cities are now scaling back on police funding and putting those funds towards health and at-risk youth programs. L.A. and New York, the largest cities so far. In the city of Toronto, two councillors have brought a motion forward to cut the Toronto police budget by 10%. Although the premier is not in support. Now part of the problem with the phrase defund the police is, well, it's not exactly literal. It's not like we won't have officers and police stations at all. Coming up on the unpublished cafe, we're going to take a look at the issue of defunding police and whether we'll reduce these conflicts or lead to more crime. Alex Del Carmen is a PhD associate dean and professor at the school of criminology, criminal justice and strategic studies at Tarleton state university. And he joins us and Alex, are, are you surprised by the call again for defunding by defunding police? You
1: no, know, I'm not surprised about the anger that is taking place across the world and really in the United States uh, towards policing. But, but I am surprised that folks are asking to either restructure the budget or to simply defund it altogether, uh, because I think it sets a very dangerous precedence here. And uh, what's the precedent? Well, you know, even though, you know, constitutionally and and theoretically and practically, law enforcement do work for the citizens that pay taxes unquestionably, and at the end of the day, they are respondent to the citizenry, um, I think sometimes people that, especially politicians, that do not really fully understand the work of police officers and the complexities associated with them, uh, when we put those budgets in their hands to start cutting it back as a form of punishment uh, or retribution for what happened to Mr. Floyd, which in itself was a horrible act, um, you know, it's it's really dangerous because because I don't know that I want a police officer to show up at my house uh, that is not well equipped uh, with all the training that's necessary to be able to do his or her job.
0: How did police services become such a large portion of a city's budget?
1: Well, you know, that's happened over the years, right? Because law enforcement in itself has become more and more complicated, uh, more uh, professionalized. And at the same time, you know, cities have grown. Uh, Therefore, there was a need for more police officers. And quite honestly, the job of a police officer has also changed, right? So, So over the years, we've seen that, in many cases, they've been asked to intervene in areas where they're quite honestly not trained to intervene uh, as it relates to domestic violence, for instance, as it, as it relates to other things that are really more about social workers and counselors to provide services than police officers.
0: Yeah, it's, it seems that, that uh, it's a big umbrella that they cover now. They have to pretty well be, be everything to everybody.
1: Right. And I think that, you know, we've seen this in the past where police officers are called whenever, you know, your cat is on a tree and fails to come down the tree. And, you know, who do you call? 911. You know, back when 911 took place and there were concerns about, you know, bioterrorist attacks, people began to call 911 throughout the country when they start seeing, you know, uh, uh, what they described as white dust coming from the clouds, which turned out to be nothing more than. And pollen, right? So, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, you know, people call nine one one as if, as, as almost as muscle reflex, as opposed to a need. And I think the job of a police officer has extended to areas that they never thought it was it was possible.
0: You know, when we look at uh, and talk about uh, defunding police, I, I recall you mentioned this is going to become a state problem. How is that?
1: Well, you know, at the end of the day, you know, law enforcement is dependent upon local taxes and most of the law enforcement in the United States, I would argue probably 80 to 85% of it is at the local and state level. Um, You know, federal law enforcement is a very small portion of the law enforcement component. The FBI estimates that we have 1 million police officers in the streets of the United States on a given day. I would argue 85 to 87% of those are state and local and so, so at the end of the day, this is going to really trickle down to that state budget and to the local budgets, as to whether or not cities, municipalities and whatnot are the ones that are going to say yes or no to to the decrease of, of the budget or reappropriation of budgets or to the elimination of law enforcement altogether in that jurisdiction.
0: You know, obviously, police officers are, are you know, the image is taking a pretty bad rap right now. But, you know, we do need them no matter what. Uh do we have to? Do we have to come up with a new way of training, a new way of uh, seeing how how police become part of the community, as opposed to it, it seems almost adversarial in, in a sense, is it not?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, in the past, you know, probably fifty years, we've seen law enforcement change roles uh, altogether, right? And I and I am one to say that I think there there needs to be change, and and ever since Mister Floyd died. I remember uh, you know reading about it and watching the news the day after and making comments to my friends and colleagues saying, "This one's different um uh, because 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 the the death of of George Floyd, it's really going to change, I believe the fabric of law enforcement in the United States and perhaps even throughout the world, to the extent that I think and i and I hope that good change comes out of this. i, I you know I hope that a greater level of communication between the citizens you know and and law enforcement you know begin to emerge but but there 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 are so many bridges to cross there are so many challenges to address because that relationship has eroded over the years and even though the majority of americans support law enforcement as a concept i think that there is lack of trust particularly in the minority communities and in other places throughout the united states
0: do you believe that as we say, defunding the police or obviously going more to a community policing model, less budget. Do you think that's going to lead to more crime?
1: You may, you know, I, look, I think that, that at the end of the day, what's what I'm concerned about is that everyone seems to have a new, a great idea after Mr. Floyd died. And everyone seems to have an opinion as to where we should go. But, but I think this has become so politicized in the past few weeks that in my view, and obviously I'm biased in the sense that I'm a social scientist, I'm a PhD in criminology, having studied policing for 22 years and training thousands, literally thousands, of police officers throughout the United States. And you know, I was on a Fulbright last year in the Czech Republic training police officers there. And I can tell you that at the end of the day, when you look at it, this is not a decision for law, for, for politicians to make, right? This has to be based on science. This has to be based on what works, and what doesn't work. And my concern is that if we start sort of, you know, uh, a split hairy, you know, splitting the hair of the of the budget and, and, and sending it to one social service, because that seems to make the headlines today versus something else, that we're going to put law enforcement in, a, in even a, in a more difficult situation where we may have tragedies ahead of us that we're not even able to predict.
0: Alex, I want to thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Alex Del Carmen is associate dean and professor at the School of Criminology, Criminal Justice, and Strategic Studies at Tarleton State University. For some, the idea of defunding the police is an opportunity for municipalities. Tahir hear Ducket's a civil rights lawyer and founder of the Rethink organization in Washington, D.C., and he joins us now. And Tahir, how do you feel this is an opportunity for cities and towns?
2: Well, I think it's a huge opportunity to reclaim giant percentages of their budgets that they have devoted to programs that aren't necessarily delivering what people believe that they are delivering, right? Uh, policing is, you know, anywhere between 30% of municipal budgets in certain cities, all the way up to half, places like Oakland, California. And these are giant sums of money that we're talking about, even in mid-sized cities. You're talking hundreds of millions of dollars and in big cities, billions of dollars that we're spending on policing. So for cities who are interested in putting together programs that are going to be really beneficial for these neighborhoods, this is a lot of money that we are devoting to an institution that it turns out, uh, isn't really serving us
0: do you, Do police services unions have too much sway over some of these city budgets
2: well you know i I think the problem is less with the unions and more with policing itself, right The unions are simply a reflection of what's happening deep within the institutions. you know these unions are are democratically elected they reflect every time you see a union uh, a union president or or a statement from a police union that is, you know, blaming the, um, you know, blaming everybody but themselves for the sort of violence that uh, you're seeing from police officers in the streets against protesters um, and, you know, the ongoing violence that we see against black communities. Those are folks who are elected and reelected by uh, police officers themselves. And so that's I think that they're reflective of something that's going on within the institution, which is where I think the, the real problem is. Um, you know, we've we've allowed a. A uh, giant group of people who have the authority to use lethal force against us, uh, and have been trained to believe that their lives are in danger at every given moment, um, and we have, you know, unleashed them into our streets as as kind of warriors and and standing armies. And then we are surprised when they turn around and, uh, you know, don't want to be held accountable for, uh, for their actions. And so that is, I think, the problem, the central problem that we're, we're facing when it comes to, uh, policing. And, you know, it's one that runs so deep that a lot of people are saying the problem is the solution isn't to reform it. It is to, shrink the size and shrink the scope of what it is that we're asking these folks to do in the first
0: place. You know, uh, you had mentioned um, when we talked about uh, going back to community policing and, and the, the unions, Camden, New Jersey is looked as looked it was looked at, as a community that defunded police uh, and it, in, a, in an effort to reduce crime and to save some money. Would you have considered it a, a, a success?
2: Yeah, um, you know, Camden, New Jersey, I wouldn't say that they're a place that defunded the police. All they did was they rebuilt their police department. Now, look, Camden, New Jersey's department for a long time was among the most horrifying police departments in the country, you know, and that and that saying something, given what we've seen across the country these last few weeks. Um, so, you know, what they did was they they did dismantle their police department. But what that meant for them was that they busted their union. They fired a bunch of cops. Uh, they fired all the cops. They rehired the ones that they thought that they could uh, reform. They brought in a reformist police chief and they, um, you know, went about their business just, uh, you know, policing in with with something of a lighter touch. Um, you know, I think that You know, that does not really get to the central problems that we're facing uh, when it comes to policing, which is that, you know, we're spending all of this money on responsive measures, responsive measures that are backed, you know, really only by the threat of violence instead of investing in our communities in the first place to prevent the crime. Look, none of us want to be victims of uh, of of crime. Um, but you know, if, if, we don't want to be victims of crime, then, then the idea is to prevent it. It's not to just, uh, respond to it. And I think that, you know, if, if we examine, if each of us examines our own interactions, you know, with police, um, you know, for, 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 me, I know that when I've had my car broken into, when I've had my house broken into a couple of times, you know, did the police fix that problem? Did they solve that problem? No, they didn't prevent it from happening in the first place. And nor did they ever actually even respond to it on the back end. Right. Those those, you know, so they in none of those situations, did they make me safer? And I think a lot of folks are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, we've taken for granted that police officers are making us safer. Um, I think that we've we've seen that on our televisions, in our in our cop dramas, but, you know, when you actually start to look at the cold, hard evidence, um, the the link between policing and crime is very tenuous. A lot of folks have studied this and have found it very difficult to say that, you know, policing, that increasing the number of police officers or, you know, um, actually reduces crime or prevents crime. Um, and so, you know, we could be investing this money in uh, programs that do show a significant uh, relationship to crime programs that provide better housing, provide housing at all, that provide education, provide, you know, school programs and safe places for people to, uh, to, to live, work and play.
0: Tahir Duckett joining us on the unpublished cafe, civil rights lawyer and founder of the rethink organization in Washington, DC, as we discuss defunding police. And, and you had mentioned, you know, officers, you know, armed officers going out uh, on on their on their on their beat and you know always always feeling threatened right they always feel like at at every corner that they're they're going to be threatened or or whatever at at some point
2: they're trained to think that way
0: yeah they're trained to think that way oh okay but do Mm -hmm. you think the number of guns on the streets in the u.s. or the availability of firearms in the u.s. is part of the problem too that's why they feel that way
2: um, Certainly. Right. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, there is no doubt that we have, um, you know, something of, you know, we, we have a, a bunch of guns on the on the street um, in the United States. And, you know, that is uh, certainly part of uh, the story. But even with all of those guns, the number of homicides that we're talking about in most major cities uh, every year, um it's it's relatively low look policing is not even among the top 15 most dangerous uh, professions in the United States, at least according to like the deaths per year. Um, in fact, if I, if I remember correctly, I haven't looked at this stat recently, but if I remember correctly, I know, uh, garbage collectors, um, uh, see more deaths per person each year than police officers. I'm pretty sure landscapers do as well. And so, you know, there is, certainly a story that is often being told that you know police officers you know the job that they are doing is incredibly dangerous and there are homicides you know um, you know uh, happening all the time that they are responding to or that they are um, you know or, or, or that they are investigating and the reality is in, in DC for instance last year we had just north of 60 homicides for the year. We have 4,200 police officers um, in the District of Columbia. So, um, you know, that's 60 homicides. Generally, that's not the number of, of, of cops who were killed last year in, in, in D.C. That's just the that's the number of homicides in in this you know city of 700,000 folks total. And so, you know, this um, I think this is part of the framework that folks have to break a little bit is that, you know, real life isn't like law and order where, you know, police officers are spending all of their time, you know, dealing with serious crimes, investigating to, or responding to serious crimes, um, you know, it, it it's it's much more the sort of, you know, security theater, just being out on patrol, just being out in the streets. Um, and, you know, all those folks that we're asking to just be out in the streets and live out in these streets for security theater, they gotta find something to do with their time. And quite often that ends up being, you know, in places that are over policed, like black communities, it ends up being, you know, harassing the folks who live there, you know, trying to figure out you know, um, you know, essentially trying to drum up a reason for uh, their existence.
0: Tahir, I want to thank you for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Tahir Duckett's a civil rights lawyer and founder of the Rethink organization in Washington, D.C. The idea of defunding police will mean scouring city budgets. Kevin Robinson's an instructor at the Arizona State University School of Criminology and Criminal Justice as well, he's the former assistant police chief for the city of Phoenix, and he joins us now. And, Kevin, how did police budgets get so big for cities?
3: Well, I think the easiest answer to that question is police departments have become, so you know, the, the end-all to end-all to most municipalities. People have come to rely on police departments for everything, and conversely their budgets continued to grow as they continued to ask for more and more things to do what they were asked to do
0: you you mentioned they're they're relied on for for everything you know obviously we talk about you know the, dealing with crime but what's the rest of the 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 job that is is taking so much of their time
3: well it's the order maintenance types of calls it's calls that people will automatically call the police for And over time, the police have become used to responding to and dealing with and helping to adjudicate those issues, those concerns that people have. But in reality, they really are not crimes. They're civil matters. They're issues that one neighbor may have a complaint about another neighbor for one reason or another, and they call the police. So the police come out, they talk to each side, they find out what's going on, they mediate, they make sure everybody is good, and they go on to the next call. So that is, you know, I, what I mean by police becoming all things to all people and not to mention the mental health issues that I think law enforcement around the world is dealing with.
0: Do you think society is asking or expecting too much from police when you, you talk about them relied being relied on for everything?
1: I don't think
3: they're asking too much. Um, I think that they've been expecting too much. In return, and what I mean by that, I think it's good for the police to be engaged and involved with the community, but you can't expect the police to solve all of the problems, especially some problems and using mental illness as an issue. You know, somebody having, you know, issues related to mental illness and the police are called because someone may be acting strangely or they seem out of the, you know, out of place in the area they happen to be in. And you have to ask yourself, are the police truly equipped to deal with somebody who may be mentally ill? And the answer is no. I think they do a very good. The, the try is very good. They try to do the best they can. But the reality of it all is they may not have the expertise. They may not have the resources. And sometimes they may not even have the time to deal with someone like that effectively.
0: When did policing go from walking the beat to arm to the teeth?
3: Well, I think as we have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and I'm talking about our communities and more and more spread out, and I think once the police truly got into the police cars and got away from getting to know the people on the street corners and getting to be able to talk to the parents sitting on their porches at night and things like that, that's when police work really ceased to be the type of police work but I think we all envision it to be.
0: Kevin Robinson joining us on the unpublished cafe from Arizona state university school of criminology and criminal justice as well. The former assistant police chief for the city of Phoenix, you know, in a defunded police scenario, how do you see community policing work?
3: Well, it's if when we say defunded, I hope we're talking about people or cities reallocating funds Police departments should always take a hard look at their budgets, and I did when I was in charge of the Phoenix Police Department budget. At the time, it was about a half a billion dollars a year. And we would go through exercises of reducing our budget by five, 10, and 15% and ask ourselves, what would our department look like? And what police departments should do is take a hard look at the programs that they are performing, the services they are delivering, And if they are not meeting the overall organizational goals, if they're not helping people to feel safe, if they're not reducing crime, then you have to ask yourself, should the police be doing it? And if they shouldn't be doing it, those are the programs that can be easily reallocated. You take those monies, you put them back into the general fund for the city or the municipality, and they reallocate it to maybe an after-school program, to the parks and rec department, maybe even to mental health awareness or mental health treatment or drug treatment. There are other avenues, other places for the monies that are usually meant directly for police departments that, you know, it could go elsewhere and in return, hopefully if it's been, if everything is working the right way, the calls to the police department are reduced because you no longer have that specific problem.
0: You know, the, the, the mental health issue is, is you know foremost, as you mentioned for pretty well, any officer around the world, that's something they just have to deal with right now. Uh, in terms of the, you you, you call it uh, a, a decrease in crime if if those those programs work, you know when I look at Camden, New Jersey, it's it started out all right, but where did you see them going wrong?
3: Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. I you know I what I know about Camden is they they started from scratch, they started all over, they started with a different philosophy, a different mindset. And when they tore the police department down, they had the neighboring sheriff's department that was able to come in and continue to deliver services while the citizens of Camden, working with criminal justice professionals, were able to reinvent their police department. And that reinvention of that police department dealt a great deal with community interaction. And what they did right is Camden realized you cannot police at people you should police with people and that way citizens become a part of the problem solving equation
0: it almost gives them you know something tangible that they're getting out of it it
3: does it's buy in they have you know they have skin in the game and they want to they want to see success and what you have happened then are, you know, the neighbors, the people, the citizens, when they see something that's not right and they have faith in their police departments, what do they do? Pick up the phone and they call their their favorite police officer. They call the police station and say, hey, this is what I've seen going on for the last couple of days. You guys need to keep an eye on this. So in essence, you know, you're, you're ability to understand what's going on and the changes and maybe possible crimes that might occur in the community. You know, the eyes that you have out there are, they're multiplied, you know, several times over, and it then allows the police department to be, you know, more effective when they go out to deal with a problem.
0: Kevin, I want to thank you for joining us.
3: No problem. It was my pleasure.
0: Kevin Robinson's an instructor with Arizona State University's School of Criminology and Criminal Justice as well. He is the former assistant police chief to the city of Phoenix. And this leads to our unpublished dot-vote question. Should Canadian cities adopt a community policing model? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now. I want to thank Alex Del Carmen, associate dean and professor at the School of Criminology, Criminal Justice, and Strategic Studies at Tarleton State University in Texas, Tahir Duckett's a civil rights lawyer and founder of the Rethink organization in Washington, D.C., and Kevin Robinson at the Arizona State University, as well the former assistant police chief of the city of Phoenix. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.